the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're happy to have you join us today on this Tuesday. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. Ian, happy Tuesday. Thanks, man. It's a, it's a nice sunny day. It feels like spring is just around the corner. Does it? <laughs> I scraped frost off my car this morning. <laughs> I, I don't know that it feels all that close. <laughs> That's spring around here, though. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Touche. what we call spring. You'd think I'm new to the Midwest or something. I'm not. I'm not. I saw in the uh, in the forecast that we might, we might be getting into the 50s later this week, but then, of course, there's rain with it. I, uh, I know. <laughs> like, like we, broke my wife's heart. Like, we can go for a walk. Oh, maybe not. Maybe like not. We can't have nice things. <laughs> hey, it's 50s and rain. <laughs> and they wonder why we're all skittish. I right. I know. Uh, well, as you know, Ian and I are both pastors. Uh, we kind of do this radio thing uh, on the side because, you know, with the newborn and kids in school and you all know, that stuff, not? we don't have enough to do. Why not? <laughs> uh, but, but our passion uh, is, is pastoring. We both uh, feel a deep calling. We love to pastor, and that's why we enjoy doing this show, uh, both of us pastors, being able to look at things going on in the world from the perspective of a pastor. And so one thing you and I probably spend more time thinking about than the average person out there is is church dynamics, specifically church attendance and, yeah. and attendance dynamics. And uh, Lifeway came out with a new study from Exponential uh, that, that had some really telling stuff. So why don't you give us some stats uh, that, that just kind of paint a picture for the American church, uh, and then we'll chat about it a little bit. Yeah, so the headline reads, uh, the church growth gap, the big get bigger while the small get smaller. And there's, I mean... It's a, it's a really fascinating article. There's a lot of stats, a lot of numbers. Let me just read some of the highlights. It says, the research gives a clear picture of the state of the Protestant church in America today. So just to be clear, we're talking Protestant church, United States. Uh, most have fewer than 100 people attending services each Sunday. It's 57%, including 21% who average fewer than 50. Wow. Around 1 in 10 churches, 11%, average 250 or more for their worship services. Three in five. Uh, three and five pastors say their churches face a decline in worship attendance or growth of 5% or less in the last three years. And almost half say their giving decreased or stayed the same from 2017 to 2018, mm. which is, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing wows and stuff from you. Are you, are you surprised by that? Or does that no, feel about feel, right? Or is that, I feel strangely comforted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's wow. Like, Oh, we're doing pretty good. I, I mean, I feel like, for my own church and most of the pastors I know, this feels pretty accurate to me. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. So and is the general posture towards that kind of data uh, encouragement? Is it, like, inspiring? Is it 
is it discouraging? Is it? I think it's confirming or affirming to yeah, say yeah. what we see going out there, less people in church or, or if it's not less people in church, I think it's the same number of people in church less often. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like the days of people going every week feel like they're over. Uh, I heard Rick Warren years ago, and now this is a huge mega church, so it's a little different, but he said that they consider a regular attender at their church somebody who comes once a month. Mm. And, uh, and and giving, I mean, for us, our giving, even if with attendance numbers kind of still slowly going up, the giving numbers have kind of stayed the same over the last couple of years. And uh, so it's at least affirming. And, yeah. um, but, you know, this does play into, I don't know about you, like, you know, you go to every conference and everything like this, and it's always... Don't be the numbers matter, but don't let them drive you like they're not everything. And then I obsess over the numbers. Uh, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. I, and I struggle with that. I do. And it's yeah, like, oh, same. my gosh, we're not growing the same or the budget uh, this. And it's hard to figure out the metrics to gauge how your church is doing apart from these. And yet most churches are at least kind of declining. And the amazing stat to me of all of these uh, is that 57 percent of churches across the country are less than 100 people. Right. I mean, that's fascinating to me. It's different, I feel like, in the Chicagoland, but that just gives you a picture of how many how many men and women are out there are just like faithfully just kind of grinding yeah. and not with like this fanfare of tens of right. thousands of people. Right, which which is, I think, a really important thing to remember, too. I remember uh, um, my first couple of months at the Yellow Box, a local pastor in the area, I think I've told this story yeah. even, he's been faithfully pastoring a church of about 120 for like 35, 40 years. And yeah. I was kind of hearing some of his story. And then he, he started to kind of tear up and, and was like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, how, how am I failing so badly? Mm. And I was like, who told you that you're failing? Like you faithfully walked with your community for 40 years in his mind, you know, he didn't reach this metric that he assumed that he was supposed to. And I yeah. think that, that was, um, heartbreaking for a number of different reasons. Uh, not the least of which he, he really felt like his life's work, you know, of, investing in this community uh was for not which yes. was frustrating you know like for us like one of the things that i really appreciate about community is is the this metric that's always been there that we we've sort of been refocusing on this last season is uh we call them the three c's celebrate connect contribute so celebrate yep. is is what you were talking about the sunday morning attendance yep. piece but then the connect piece is like doing life in small groups and then contribute piece is both giving back financially but also like serving on a team yep. so it so we don't just celebrate the celebrate number yep. it's about the other two as well and you know when we run the numbers there's some conviction even there like yeah sure maybe we're seeing attendance growth here but we're, we're struggling to actually see people you know connect in these ways or to give back and how do we go after those things which is it's a very important but difficult conversation to have because a lot of us are like, yeah, how do we get more people on a Sunday? Exactly. Like that's an easier answer, I think, to find sometimes. And the hard part is, is that as a pastor, when people ask you about your church, they inevitably, oh. if they know nothing about your per- your church, their second question, not even in the conversation, their <laughs> literal second question yeah. after, what's the name of your church? Where is it? Right. Is how many people go to your church? Right. And you're like, well, you know this. Or, oh, yeah, no, we've been growing. And and, and every pastor is like, oh, you know that question's coming. And that there also drives a thing of like, well, I got to get more people here. So I could tell people that right. there's more people here. And it is kind of this vicious cycle. And especially where we serve in DuPage County, yeah, right. There's, there's this other strange underbelly that most growing churches are growing because other churches aren't. Yeah, right, and right. not because people are coming to Jesus. Now, people are coming to Jesus, but, but 
I would say the vast majority of growth within churches in the western suburbs is at the expense of other churches in the western suburbs. Well, and this this article does seem to imply that, which is also super convicting, right? Like yeah. they're going where and again, these aren't bad reasons to go to a church. You no, know, I, I like I like the music or I like the preaching. And, you know, sometimes it's just proximity. Like we wanted to find something that's closer to us. Yep. But yeah, like even even our dynamic. You know, being at a I'm I'm at a pretty large church, yep. and you're at a well by the by these statistics, you're at a pretty large church too. Uh, I, I think. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just you. I just think that's that's really fascinating. Yeah. How how do you counteract or not even counteract? How do you even address the issue of just transference of Christ followers from community to community? Yep. Like. We just celebrated Baptism Sunday, and at the Yellow Box, you know, we had we had forty plus people get baptized, which is awesome. But yep. though, but not even all of those were, you know, quote unquote, new conversions. Yes. Some of them certainly were. But how do you, as a pastor, uh, address those issues where, like, hey, we're just it looks like we're just shuffling people right yep. now? How do we how do we call the local church to something different? And I think one way we can do that. I think there's there's we could speak of this for hours as pastors, right? But I think. One way we do it that I str- I don't do very well, but I think it's by putting your money where your mouth is and saying, mm. if, if you come to my church from another church, me sitting down with you and maybe encouraging you to go back. Right, right. As opposed to always talking about people, you shouldn't leave my church to go to another. That's just this. Right. What about when, the other, what about when you're the growing church by other people yes. shifting as opposed to one who's losing people? Are you willing to go, hey, you know? Uh, and there's, you know, I think as pastors, I think sometimes guys are and girls are just more uh, secure in themselves. Like, oh, I'm okay with the size. I, I struggle with that security. Really? I, I, I take attendance numbers to be an, a referendum on not just our church, but on me. Oh, man. Let's talk about that another time, because I, I think that there is a, uh, even having pastored a smaller church and a larger church in the same area, you know, you're still often kind of in the, some of the same circles. Yes. And you had mentioned it earlier how quickly are you able to discern someone's reaction when you tell them the size of your church? Yep. Like, I don't think people think about this, but you and I probably have both had this experience. They ask, it's almost always question two. Yep. How big is it? Yep. How big is your church? And you can tell instantly by their reaction, oh, I'm, oh, this guy's not worth yes. the rest of the conversation, or they're really impressed, or yep. they're whatever whatever it is, there, there is this like very odd Sort of like junior high pressure of uh, oh okay well isn't that keep, go, oh keep yeah, trying isn't that yeah keep trying right yeah how are you how are you not to take that personally oh churches man they are fascinating we're gonna <laughs> talk about these I'm sure on a daily basis as we keep going well, we're glad to be with you today on the common good coming up next uh, we're gonna talk about the fire festival documentary on Netflix and what does that have to do what can that teach us about our faith that's what's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160 hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. We're glad that you're joining us today. If you want to continue in the conversation, you can do so at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find old shows online at 1160hope.com. Ian, you and I were talking offline a little bit about that documentary that's all over Netflix uh, about the Fire Festival. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen it. You did see it. And, and I want you to tell us a little bit about it, because then we found this article at the Gospel Coalition that links 
some of the lessons of the fire festival to this author, what they see going on in Christianity right now, to which I found fascinating. But for those of us like myself, who've never seen the documentary, why don't you give us a little bit of background of it? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating too. If you're a Netflix person, uh, I do recommend checking it out. Um, I mean, obviously there's, it's not a Christian movie or anything, so yep. brace, brace yourself for that. But, uh, Essentially, Billy McFarlane, who's co-founder of uh, Fire Company, F-Y-R-E, was launching, uh, at least so it seemed, this massive festival on, at least as it seemed, some private island. Uh, he was partnering with the uh, the rapper Ja Rule. If if you don't know who that is, that's most everybody at this point. Um, <laughs> but, but, Cheap shot. <laughs> I know, Cheap shot I know. Ja sorry, Rule. sorry, sorry, Ja. Anyway, so there was this. It's a it's a brilliant uh, look at um, marketing and more specifically dishonesty in marketing. He had this dream for this festival and uh, gathered what you call digital influencers. So a lot of it was like models with these huge digital followings, and then they all were to post this just blank orange photo with the hashtag that was to create this big stir. And they had professional cinematographers, so it was like you know they were creating this insane buzz. And these tickets were thousands of dollars, yep. and they were. Uh, talking about these these like island huts they were gonna have for everybody, and and as you watch the doc, you just see like everything's starting to unravel, and he's he's boasting uh, money that isn't there, and he's sort of like taking money behind his other people's back, and he's wow. telling other people different stories about where they. You know, it's just this huge, huge undertaking that um, Billy, who apparently is pretty good at raising funds, pretty pretty good at like the the hype piece of yeah. it, um, really failed pretty massively in the last kind of like 30 minutes of the doc takes a pretty dark turn because then you actually get to hear from the people who were really affected by this. Some of mm. whom were like Billy's close friends who were like deeply damaged by some of his mishandlings and he ended up going to court and he was under house arrest. And it seems like he's continued to still sort of like continue it in a different way wow. to school people and to take, you know, advantage of people's gullibility online and, I don't know. It's a really, it's a really sad kind of twisted but, but fascinating story. For Everyone sure. who's seen it, I've heard, has just said it's fascinating. And with the article here at the Gospel Coalition website, I'd encourage you uh, to go find it. It's entitled "The Perils of Falling for a Fire Style Faith." That being F Y R E, yeah. Off of the documentary, and it, it goes in two fascinating directions that that I think are really important. And the first is this: as Christians, we need to stop falling for fake. Instead, fight for the facts. And he says, Christians of all people need to fight for truth because it's true, not because it helps or hurts our cause. And this gets yep. the whole notion of fake news and memes getting shared all around on Facebook and being the first to put stuff out there or to back your cause. And I think this author rightfully is saying, hey, as Christians who claim to follow the truth, we need to value truth more than anybody. Yeah, and it goes on to say, our world desperately needs guidance and how to discerningly sift through this glut of misinformation and we've talked about this a couple of times, right? Like like jumping pretty quickly on the bandwagon with the Covington Catholic schoolboys, um, talking a little bit about Trump signing Bibles. Yep. So, some of these things are easy for us to, to you know, for, for better or for worse, before we actually have the facts. We need to be people who, like, seek the truth. Like, seek what's true, not just what's first. Right. And often first is what gets clicks, that's what gets shared, and to not get caught up in that rat race to actually be people of the truth, I think, in all areas is a really, really great call. Absolutely. And then the second point this author makes is this, when fantasy faith doesn't match reality, and this is where I wanted to sit yeah. for a little bit, because uh, he says, the fire Festival reflects a world where there is often and increasingly a vast distance between what is sold to us and what we actually receive. Hmm. Sadly, churches and Christians often fall into this temptation when thinking about how to present ourselves. And he goes on to basically say, we feel this need to add to Jesus to make it more glitzy and glamorous. 
uh, and something that it, it, quite frankly, is not because we don't trust that the gospel is still good news enough to be enough for people. Yeah, there's a, a quote at the end of the, the movie, the documentary from uh, Brett Kincaid. He was a commercial videographer hired to create all the promotional stuff for the festival. And uh, he said, the real fire festival happened twice. It was the shoots. What the commercial was, was what everybody wanted, which wow. in the actual doc was pretty haunting because it's sort of like, yeah, that's what... That's what the fire festival actually. the The real festival itself didn't happen, but this commercial that we poured all this money into making, that was really this vision of what everybody wanted. And I think what what this writer is saying is sometimes we do that with churches, where we yep. we we paint a picture of Christianity that says, um, "Pray this prayer, you know, become a member, and you'll never have any pain, and everything will always make sense, and life will become easy." And anyone who's been a Christian more than a minute and a half knows that that's just not that's not true. Right. The, the other side of this, though, if if I could be uh, a little contentious here, is that sometimes I think stories like this try to knock any church that's trying in any way to be relevant. Correct. That, like, or man, innovative right. or whatever. Yes. If people enjoy your services, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if people come and they like the music and they like your preaching, man, you're just trying to tickle yeah. their ears. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's not totally fair either, though. Yeah. I, don't th- I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I had three people fall asleep this week. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's how you knew it. you're doing it right because no one likes it. I'm like, well, I don't think that, <laughs> no one likes it. that's not a good barometer either, is it? Like, just oh. because, I don't know. I Again, both extremes can go too far, yes. right? If you if all you're doing is seeking butts in the seat, like we're just trying to draw a crowd so that hopefully they'll start giving so that we can kind of keep this machine going. Yes. Not a great motive. On the other hand, though, there can be some pride in like how boring our services are or we take pride in and the reason people don't like me is because I'm telling them the hard truth. Yep. And I'm like, ah, there might be more going on there, too. <laughs> Maybe you're just boring. Yes. <laughs> but then he does. So he, he goes on to say Christianity is is costly. Don't crop that out. Don't crop it out. That's good. What like happens that. when they find out that the rosy-colored Christianity that was marketed to them isn't actually real Christianity? Mm. What happens when they find out about the cost of discipleship, that following Jesus requires repentance and dethroning ourselves as chief authority, that church is often a frustrating and uncomfortable experience because diverse community always is? Hmm. What happens when they like the fire festival attendees who showed up expecting a party and got a disaster instead wow, realize the reality is far from the paradise they promised? And that's that's a hard one right yeah. there because it's not even like marketing church to be trendy. But what happens when we market Christianity hmm. to be something different than it is, right? Yo, there's no pain. There, it's all good. It's all good. And then what happens later when they realize, wait, that wasn't true. Right. Right. And and what danger does that do to people? And what danger does that do to the name of Jesus? When we never say that was never the truth anyway. Well, I don't know that people always come to the conclusion that that wasn't true. What Mm. I often see is that people say, well, then I didn't do it right. Very true. If they're, if they're, if people are marketed a a particular brand of Christianity that says, you'll never have any heartache. You'll never have any pain. Christianity doesn't cost anything. And then they experience pain in their own life. Sometimes they'll turn it on the infrastructure and say, well, that church sold me a bill of goods. Yep. I think just as often, though, people will say, well, then my my prayer didn't take yep. or my, my baptism wasn't legit or right. Like a lot of times people turn it inwardly and that creates like a whole different set of issues that yep. like I I didn't do I didn't follow the steps correctly because pastor on the stage told me that none of this would happen. And then it happened. And and I think that's just as tragic. Absolutely. They, they end up feeling like they're the ones who failed. They didn't appease Jesus appropriately to, you know, to be worthy of this problem-free life that they were told that they would get. Yeah, and like, that's really good, man, because then they go, well, I failed once. I'm not going back to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess the message is, like, let's be, 
let's be confident that Jesus can stand on his own, right? Like yeah, we don't right. have to, as that as that said, we don't have to crop things out. We don't have to avoid what's hard. Totally. Uh, but trust, the Bible doesn't trust that the grace uh, and the good news of the gospel is in fact good news in the good times and the bad. So yep, that's right, man. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Coming up next, we're going to talk about prayer and specifically what this one author calls life changing prayer targets. I'm excited to do that because a lot of us struggle with prayer. So uh, we're going to talk about that next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can listen to old shows on podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, or online at 1160hope.com. Dot com. So Ian, as pastors, one of the things that I think we often hear and we probably feel for ourselves is how hard pr- uh, prayer is. Yeah. And that sounds like a weird thing. Like prayer doesn't seem like something that should be difficult. Right. Uh, prayer seems like something should be easy, but I don't know if you hear it. Uh, that is a common refrain I hear from people. Like, I know I should pray more, but uh, I don't pray or I never find the time to do it or I just don't know how. And where do you think that's coming from? Why do you think prayer is such a struggle for people? Uh, I think there's probably a couple of reasons. One, I don't think we truly understand what prayer is. Mm. I find so often people will say, well, I don't know the right Christian words or I don't, I'm not sure how, how I'm supposed to do it. Right. The, the how stuff I feel like really trips people up. Mm. And uh, sometimes that's because their only exposure to prayer is watching the quote unquote professionals on stage yep. do it. Right. Yep. So like if you're a preacher, you've probably prayed a thousand times. So that can be really intimidating. You're like, Oh, there's like a formula or there's something I'm supposed to, yes. and I'm not knocking even formulaic prayer. I think there's a lot in our ancient traditions that we can learn from, particularly as you know, Western uh, Protestants. But I do think people get really intimidated and they also, they don't know that it's an invitation. They don't understand. Mm. I think that because prayer often feels like, we're annoying God. Like, so sorry yes. to ask again. I'm, I know, I know that you just told me this yesterday. We feel like unwanted house guests, man. Prayer is this like constant open door from a God who made us and loves us. Yes. And I think when we forget that, when we feel like, I don't mean to bother you again. Like, like we're coming by his cubicle for the fifth time in a work day. Like, man, if we understand prayer as an invitation, that drastically changes that I don't have to worry about form and function. I don't That's have to good. worry about like saying the right Christian words to like get his attention. Like, Oh, he's not going to listen to me until I say Shekinah glory. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, this is, this is dad. This is like, my boy doesn't have to in any way like coerce me. They're like, can you please, I, it's like, Oh, that's my son. I do. I want to spend time with you. And I think when we understand that, that kind of shifts some things. Because I love that passage in Hebrews where it says, you know, because the veil, you know, because the curtain's been torn and there's access to the throne room, it basically says, so take advantage of it. Yeah. Right. Come in. Right. And I love that picture you said of dad, right? Because, there, there was this distance, but now it's our Heavenly Father saying, no, you're my kid. I want to hear from you. Come on in. And there's parable after parable, right? Like, no, keep asking. Uh-huh. Just keep right. asking. Right. So at his website, Strategic Renewal, there's a guy by the name of Dale, Daniel Henderson. And Henderson wrote a great book uh, that I read over the summer on sabbatical hmm. uh, that it was just called Transforming Prayer, How Everything Changes When You Seek God's Face. And I just wanted to highlight this one line he says. He says this when he's talking about how his own prayer life has changed, when the target changed for him, Hmm. and it kind of changed how he prayed. He said this, I am learning that prayer is not so much asking God to change things for our gratification, but rather asking him to change us for his glory. Yeah, right. And and I, I read that. I said, okay, no, no, I can get my arms around that. That makes some sense that 
that maybe prayer is more than just saying, God, do this, do this, but maybe it's more, make us more like you, uh, break my heart for what's around me. Not just like, all right, I'm going to be passive and I'm going to ask the big Santa Claus in the sky for something for me or for something for that person, but that's where it's going to end. But instead he's saying the target was more like, no, no, change me, change us for your glory. And I think um, implied in that is and and spur me to go do something. Yeah, and I, I do like that line. I don't know that I love using the word target as it pertains to prayer because I, I believe at my core it's intimacy, it's relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way of entering into deeper and deeper uh, what God desires for us, which is closeness. And I think when we create, a, you know, about targets, like, oh, you're praying for the wrong issue or the wrong conversation that to me begins to like widen the gap between relationship and objective. I think it was mother Teresa. She said something like I used to pray that God would change things. And then I realized that prayer changes me and I change things, Mm. which isn't to say that I don't believe God doesn't intercede in like powerfully miraculous ways to change things as well. I think it is a both and, but like seeing it through that lens that God wants to continue to like chip away the stuff in my heart that, is is not only not of him but toxic to me and everyone around me. Like that that's what I think we miss. That the goal it's like when you're you know driving in your car. You've ever like been just dis- like you're distracted by staying in the lines of the yes. lane. And the more that you just focus on the line, the more that you like drift yes. over. But when you actually like look down the road, don't you find that you just sort of drive straighter? Yeah. I think so sometimes when we focus too much on like being a better prayer, we miss the target of just no, this closeness with Jesus. Like, focus mm. on that first, and your prayer life grows, and your generosity grows, and your affection for God and neighbor grows. And I think sometimes we we miss the the ultimate thing that we should be striving towards, and create these like these these subsidiary targets that are, I think, in some ways, kind of distracting us, but they look Christiany. Yeah. So we're like, oh yeah, I should I should focus on that right now. When like really, I think the invitation is to. No, set your eyes first on Jesus, and then this kind of stuff begins to kind of grow on its own. It's always interesting as a pastor. I know, like, I've I've scheduled prayer nights, right? Like, hey, yeah, this right. Wednesday we're going to gather to pray. And I think what you're getting at, it, it fleshes itself out in prayer nights, right? You ever talk to pastors, and they're always like, oh, if we set a prayer meeting, seven people are going to come. Yeah, right. And the question is, why is that, hmm. right? And you like to, like, then bag on your, on your church. Like, well, they stink. They don't get prayer. When you're like, well, no, no, maybe you're not teaching them well, or maybe hmm. you're not leading well here. Hmm. That we're going to gather together to to seek the face of God, and we are going to you know enter into His throne room, and we're going to ask, and we're going to like that feels appealing to me hmm. instead of you know kind of the bells and whistles and or just hey come gather to pray. And I don't know, it's always struck me as odd that churches struggle to pray, but maybe that's just because they're made up of people who struggle to pray. And, right, and I'm not, man, I'm not opposed. I hope you're not hearing that. I'm not opposed at all to prayer meeting. In the no, same no, I'm way, for it, I'm trying to think as a pastor, how can we get more people. Not there for the sake of being yeah, there, but right. more people praying because we believe prayer is powerful. I think it's because people don't see the need. Like, yes. like we know that we should be loving our spouse year-round, but sometimes a shot in the arm, a marriage and family conference can be really, really helpful. Mm. We go, though, we fork over the cash because we at least have enough awareness to say, ah, my marriage could really use this. Yep. I, I need some of this. I think because, like, really, honestly, if I could just be blunt, man, when when we continue to live in this super safe Christianity that only requires an hour of me on Sundays. Yeah. I don't need prayer for that kind of life. Yes. I don't need like sacred courage. I don't, I don't need God's eyes to see people. If all I'm really concerned with is an hour on Sundays and I, you know, swear a little less than maybe I used to. But, but if we really believe that like the Holy spirit resides in each of us and that we're called to make like a profound difference in the world, yeah. 
man, I need prayer for that. Like there's a growing awareness of my own deficiency. Like, God, apart from you, I, I mean, I, I can't give anybody what they ultimately need just mm. as just as Ian. I think the more that you lean into like, I don't know, this sounds cheesy, but like the adventure of the Christian life. Holy cow, man. That's like jumping out of a plane saying you don't need a parachute. Like, yeah. man, we, I'm gonna, I need to lean more and more on the vitality of God because I realize more and more that, like, apart from that, I'm not, I'm not offering all that yeah. much. You know, oh, you're preaching now because what is there about our faith that if God was completely not involved in it would change at all? Yeah. Right. Or maybe not right. about our faith, but maybe just our daily existence our execution, as, yeah. as American Christians. Hmm. What is it at that I'm engaged in or running towards that, that require, and that I even mean this as a pastor, you might be like, well, you're oh. a pastor. Of course you need it in your church. No, you don't. Right. right. You can gather a crowd. You uh-huh. can craft a service. You yeah. can do these things. You can throw some dinners, whatever else. Like what, what in my life right now is at all even requiring prayer? That's good. And if the answer is no, then why would I pray anyway? I yeah, pray because right. I'm supposed to. Right. When I think too, it's, it's, even if you're not there, like, don't let this be, don't let this be shame at all. Say, God, give me a burden. Mm. G- give me eyes to see. I don't, I don't have a burden right now, maybe, or I don't see people the way that you see them. God, would you give me that? Like it's, it's even saying, I want to want to pray like that I think is more honest than where a lot of us live really and God welcomes that honesty. God, I don't even know that I want to want to pray yet. Would you start there? God and plant whatever seed or light, whatever fire needs to be there because I know that that's the place of life. And I think, man, I don't, I just really feel like God honors that transparency when we say, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even desire to that's desire good. it yet. God, help me get there. Help me pray to be, become a prayer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good. Right. That's good. Well, you're listening to the common good on AM 1160 coming up next. We're going to talk about one of Ian's favorite artists, Justin Bieber. (laughs) That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, We've got something new on the show. Ian, we're like trying to grow our reach, right? Not our reach, but our way of connecting with the people out there. And so uh, we now have a dedicated text line that you could text us, uh, whatever it is you want to share with us. So let me give you the information. And then we're going to tell you a little bit about how we want to use this. So now you can text us your comments at six, eight, six, eight, three, that's six, eight, six, eight, three, and then type in CG in your message. That stands for common good. (laughs) See how that went there. Type in CG and then your comment. You can you can talk to us about any segments that you've heard on the show. Like, hey, uh, here's my thoughts on that. Or ask any follow-up questions. Hey, you, when you talked about this, I would love for you to yep. hear more about this. Or, totally. or just ideas. You guys have never really talked about this, to my knowledge. I'd love to hear more about this. We might use this text line for giveaways, for yep. contests, for fun stuff. But basically... What we're wanting to do is to give another avenue for interaction. Sometimes yep. we'll use them live right yep. on the show, but a lot of times we'll just use them to kind of curate, a, as you like to say, just uh, feedback and, yeah. and then use that uh, throughout our show. So we can text with people now. Ultimately, our goal for the show is that it's actually helpful in some way. Right. And I think the more that we can engage with people actually listening and engaging with the content, the better job we can do at tackling stories or topics yep. or ideas that – uh, you actually want to hear about. So, uh, yeah, highly encourage you to use the text line. Yep. So Facebook, we always talk to you about. You can find us there at The Common Good Radio Show or The Common Good Radio Show. But now you can text us 68683. That's 68683. And then type CG and then your comment, your question, 
Uh, we would love to hear just stuff you think is funny, stuff, whatever, whatever you, <laughs> you're up at night rocking a baby and you're like, who can I text at two in the morning? Text the show. Text the show. Right? <laughs> text the show. So whatever those, those is, will be fun. There's, <laughs> yeah. And they'll be coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It'll just be going, why? Why is this happening? What time are we starting? <laughs> uh, that's 68683. So we'll throw that out a bunch now. Another way you can get involved with the show. Uh, you're one of your favorite people, man. You you love to listen to Nickelback and you love to listen to Justin Bieber, right? Accurate statement. I hope people are picking up on your sarcasm. <laughs> you're a believer, as I like to say earlier. You do like to say a lot. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe you have a. If you had to choose between Justin Bieber and Nickelback, who yesterday me... yesterday on Nick, Nick, yesterday you went all in on Nickelback, and apparently you've done it from the pulpit as well. Uh, if you had to choose one, like you're on a stranded island, you're stranded on an island. They said you could have one. One music, Nickelback or Justin Bieber. What I, are you choose, going for? I choose silence. <laughs> just, just like our early church fathers and mothers, I would or Bieber co- covering a Nickelback song. Maybe that would. Maybe they somehow cancel each other out. Dante's third <laughs> level of hell. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, Justin Bieber. We've talked about him before on the show because not only uh, is he out there, right? He has millions of Instagram followers. People like. He is out there. People know everything going on right. with Justin Bieber, the good and the bad. Um, and so hes you forget how young he is. Like, he's been around for so long. Justin Bieber's 24 years old. Right. Uh, and he uh, very famously, uh, as everything he does is very famous, within the last year or two, um, put his faith in Jesus, became very involved at Hillsong in mm-hmm. New York City. Um and even that through Instagram and stuff, you've seen just kind of going up and down, up and right, down. Right, like right. a lot of us do a young faith. But yeah. his is just in front of millions of people. Right, right. And so it happened again this weekend. Uh, Justin Bieber went on Instagram uh, and a, in a picture of himself between his manager and Kanye West, yeah. uh, which is just, again, the most Justin Bieber thing ever. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he wrote this. He said, I just wanted to keep you guys updated a little bit. Hopefully what I'm going through will resonate with you guys. I've been struggling a lot, just feeling super disconnected and weird. I always bounce back, so I'm not worried. Just wanted to reach out and ask for your guys to pray for me. Yeah. Uh, and he says, God is faithful and your prayers really work. Thanks. The most human season I've ever been in facing my stuff head on. Mm. And I read that and I was like, ooh, Instagram. And I felt awkward. But then also I felt really sad for him, but also really like, wow, being honest. So I don't know. What was your mix of emotions as you read that? And then we want to jump to uh, some things we see good in here that I think even we can learn from 24-year-old Justin Bieber. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it is it is worthwhile to note that reaching out is admirable. I always mm-hmm. have like just a, I think a healthy dose of suspicion anytime that it's yeah. on a platform like that. Um, maybe just cause I'm, <laughs> I'm suspicious of celebrity in general, but yeah. I do, I guess at my core, like I'm, like I'm, I'm rooting for him and I think, okay, so he goes on later to talk about struggles in his marriage and he's, he's only been married just a really short while. And yep. he's sort of saying, okay, we're diving in, we're getting therapy, it's really, really hard. We don't want to lose each other. Like, okay, this is take away the millions of followers and money and fame and all that. He he is still a young dude, recently married, who's who's freaking out a little bit, yes. right? His faith is brand new, his marriage is brand new, and I think <sighs> okay, as easy as it is to poke fun of the guy, and he's done some stupid stuff, but yeah. you know, who of us hasn't? Uh, I I do sort of admire like, all right, maybe not the uh, avenue I would choose, but yeah. To wave a flag a little bit and say, "Hey, I'm I'm still I'm still Team Jesus, but I'm like we're having a really hard time. Yeah. 
you know, pray for us. Like now, if he had like a you know a download link at the end of this, I'd be like, okay, this feels exploitative. Yes. <laughs> but it's like legitimately like, hey, we're struggling. Maybe you're struggling too. Um, could use your prayers. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And again, it's easy, like you said, to poke not just fun, but like a kind of a sideways glance at like, okay, you're really struggling, and you did it on Instagram in front of millions right, of followers. Right, 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 right. Or you talked about your marriage and your marriage struggles with your wife in a candid Vogue interview. Um, and so I'm not sure, you know, venues, the best way here, but right. it does raise this question and I'll ask you this pastorally a little bit. Uh, don't you think that one of the struggles a lot of us have, and a lot of people in our churches have is that they don't, while, you know, they don't have millions of Instagram followers to, yeah. to share it with. They don't share with anybody. Yeah, totally. They don't fail these struggles personally. He's saying I'm personally struggling. And later he's saying I'm maritally struggling. Uh, really he might be an overshare. Yeah. But really what plagues Christianity and the evangelical church is undersharing and kind of hiding. Well, and so, you know, as someone in his 30s and you're in your 40s talking about even about like, oh, I don't know that the venue's the right choice. I do have to take into consideration that this kid has only known like massive internet social media success, that it is probably more an extension of his person than either of you or I really understand. And I've been watching a couple of documentaries lately, actually, about people who found their fame online, and, mm-hmm. and really for a lot of them, that is their only fit. They're, they're not a musician or anything. They yes. just have a ton of followers. And what that kind of does to your brain and psyche, that it feels a lot like this is how I reach out to my friends. This, this is what you friends. and I write. Yeah. This is my community. Yeah. Some of them I really truly believe think that this is the right avenue. And uh, and so I, for you or I, that feels very strange. because I have, interesting. I have like three close friends. They know everything, yeah. and I'm not looking to broadcast that on social media. But maybe for him, he's like, this is the only way I know how to do this is to reach out for help. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes, you know, as the, as the church, as Christ followers, we do the opposite, yeah. where we hide everything in the shadows. We don't tell anybody. And, and then social media becomes this curation of, like, my highlight reel that isn't really true yes. at all to what I'm really going through or what concerns me or what I'm afraid of. And I think between the two— um, they're both dangerous. Both extremes are dangerous, but at the very least, I, I appreciate, even if it's to millions of followers, um, a celebrity saying, we're, we're struggling. Yeah. Would you guys pray for us? I think one of the, one of the biggest feedback I ever got for a sermon, right? Like sometimes you preach a sermon and Hey, good job. Good job. But sometimes you preach one where people are like, like, I get that. Yes. Right. And one time where I had one, I, I talked about, uh, the fear of clowns. Very interesting start, right? And I talked about why do people fear clowns? It's because they can't tell what's going on behind the facade of their face. Oh, interesting. You know, got into what Jesus said to the Pharisees about being whitewashed tombs. And I got so much response from people going, yep, that's how my life feels. Wow. Like I got to just kind of hide behind that. And that that is my biggest fear for Mm. us in the Western evangelical church, Western suburbs of Chicago, is is that kind of. Uh, fakeness yeah, that right. says, I can't let people know who I am. So is Justin Bieber an overshare? Probably. And yeah. I think you just laid some great context as to why that might be. Mm. But, but don't be an undershare. <laughs> yeah, right. Who knows your struggles uh, when you're struggling? Yeah, so. no kidding. Uh, well, the first hour is down here on The Common Good. Again, as we talked about, you can text us now at 68683. Type in CG and then your comment or your question. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. 
our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And as we talked about last hour, we now have a text line. You can text the show. Uh, text us your comments, your questions, some ideas for stories, just whatever you think. We want, we want to have an, an, an interaction here uh, and hear from you. So you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG for The Common Good. Uh, and then your comment, your question. Uh, whatever else it might be. So uh, we're excited for that, man. That's right. We'll be working with our people back and forth. I kind of wish that people could, maybe we'll get to the point. Maybe it feels a little dangerous right now where people can somehow observe what we do between segments. It's kind of lunacy. Is that a good idea? It's not good for job security, (laughs) but it's going to be good for laughs. I don't know (laughs) that people need that kind of influence in their life. I mean, it's very serious. Just very. (laughs) Right. Lots of work at prayer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> two pastors laughing very about holy prayer. right we just yeah gregorian There's chant and incense, incense lit everywhere <laughs> but yes there we go uh anyway great taking segue. a right turn taking a right turn uh interestingly we you and i came across an article we wanted to discuss and here's the title it says this they're young they're fun they're alcohol free the sober curious movement takes off in chicago uh, and i haven't yet said where this came from because uh, as guys who who grew up in the church and evangelicalism, I would think that this uh, this article is straight out of Christianity today. Right. This article straight out of, you know, name your uh, conservative Christian publication. Yeah, right. Instead, it's Chicago Tribune. Yep. This was an article in the Chicago Tribune that they're young, they're fun, and they're alcohol-free. The sober, curious movement takes off in Chicago. Help us understand a little bit. What is this sober, curious movement? Yeah, it's really fascinating. It's... Um... It's I mean, they're mostly millennials, it seems, who are deciding uh, to to live alcohol free, not mm. because they have any sort of addiction that they're aware of or any sort of like real quote unquote problem, um, but just a commitment that they didn't really love like who they were when yeah. they drank. You know, one of the people interviewed kind of highlighted. She's like, I didn't like forgetting some of the details of the night before. Mm. I just didn't, you know. So they're not opting to go to like a twelve step program or an AA, but they're they're collectively sort of saying. I don't. I just don't know. If that's the direction that I want to go. And not all of them are even cutting out alcohol altogether, mm-hmm. but just sort of making a conscious decision to say, yeah, "I don't think I need this in my life." And the thing that's really fascinating to me is that they're doing it in the context of community. So they're yes. like organizing these meetups um, because one of them was saying, "You know, when I first made this decision to stop drinking alcohol, I realized how much of like my community life revolved around it." So, you know, a lot of lonely Friday nights, like, oh, well, my friends, all they were doing yeah. was was going to bars and because I didn't want to I didn't want to be around that for no real moral reason or anything. I just didn't like what it was doing to me. They they would just sort of sit at home. So like so they've started organizing these these specifically alcohol free meetups. Uh, and like you were saying, again, surprising that, it you know, it's not a uh, it's not a like church or religiously motivated at move at all, but just sort of like, a, you know what, I'm 27. 
I don't think I like the person that I'm that I am when I drink when I drink too much or that I always need it or you know some of them mentioned health benefits some of them mentioned just sort of what it does to their to their mind and uh, it's it's got a little bit of a groundswell in Chicago which I find I find fascinating and that's what I loved about this story is like neither you nor I nor this show is going to be the uh, the we all alcohol is bad show right uh, right right like I think uh, there's been a healthy shift within the church of re- recognizing that you know uh, abusing alcohol is bad but alcohol in and of itself is pretty neutral yeah um, and but what's that's what's fascinating about this is this was people going you know what this isn't the person I want to be and again there is not a religious element to this story one bit. Uh, but that it is this groundswell of people going, you know what? I don't want to be that, but I want to be that. So let me find other people who are like-minded yeah. and kind of surround myself. And now there's these community, like you said, communities of people around a shared desire of, of uh, whether it be so bright or just not a focus on drinking. And I was never, I got married really young, you know, cards on the table. I was yeah. never the 25 year old who lived in the city and had to figure right. out what to do on a weekend. Like, right. When I was 20, you know, 22, it was I'm going home and my wife and I are going to a movie or we're going out to dinner or out with some friends. Hmm. Um, and so I don't even get the whole scene, if you will. That sounded yep, like the most 41-year-old right. thing I could say. <laughs> I don't get that whole scene. Um, but even beyond that, I just find the community aspect to this fascinating. Kind of that people of like-mindedness have found each other and now there's beautiful relationships coming out of it. Yeah, well, I think it's too, it's not just a matter of, Drinking versus not drinking. Uh, the word that they, or the phrase they use here is mindful drinking, which to me, to be honest, that's that's the way you should do it, period. Yeah. Like just mindful drinking. And it's crazy how um, controversial that idea is. But it also, I think, is an indication of by and large how how many of us uh, engage with alcohol is just it's a lack of mindfulness. You know, mm. like how you think about like. I've met with plenty of people who they grew up in uh, homes where alcohol was abused. So for them, they don't touch it with a 10-foot pole, which I think is totally their prerogative for sure. But I know plenty of other people, though, and this is maybe not the discussion right now, but like so often Christians try too hard to be like uber cool. Like, ah, we're the church that drinks and all of our meetings are like, you know. I, I, again, I don't, I don't have an issue with it at all. Like, you know, we, we often have wine in a small group and like, that's something that for us is, uh, is healthy and normal. But the idea of mindful drinking in general is such an important call. Like, Hey, be mindful for you in your context, given your life circumstance, like don't mindlessly drink. I think that's, that, that's, that's part of the issue. Yes. Some of the people interviewed were sort of like, I was just doing it cause it's all anyone was doing, yep. which whether it's drinking or anything, that's not an intelligent way <laughs> To, yeah. go, to go through life. He's like, well, this is what the eight closest people to me always do. I guess I do it now, too. So I really applaud the the 27-year-old that's saying, I, I don't have an issue with you doing it at all, and it's not morally motivated. I just, when I really kind of honed in on some mindfulness, I didn't love what this was doing to me. Yeah. I didn't love how much I needed it. I didn't love how much I was spending on it. And uh, so I cut it out, at least for now. Like, they're not even saying lifelong sobriety is the goal. They're yep. saying, well, for right now, this isn't, I'm going to focus on other things. I think, oh, that mindfulness, I think, is uh, is encouraging. And you can find this at chicagotribune.com. I think there's also, there's an issue of meaning and purpose here. When I read the article, the people are like, I just got tired of this. Like, it, yeah, wasn't, right. it wasn't giving me what it promised to. And there's so many applicable points to the church, right? As as the, the especially this one of community, right? When we gather around uh, the ultimate thing, that being Jesus, it bonds us together. You know, that's what these people are doing. They're going, well, I don't want to be bonded around drinking and this and that. So 
Now they're bonded together about people who are like-minded yeah. and who said, you know, this is where I'm going to find some meaning and purpose. Just very interesting. I think it's fascinating that this is kind of somewhat of a movement that's starting to spread through Chicago. Well, and you, yeah, I think you touched on it well, too. The, the thought that whether it's drinking or money or real estate, whatever it is, this idea that something will deliver in a way that it never actually could yeah. uh, is can't, that can be a really rude awakening, right? Like in your mind, like once I make this amount of money, then I'll be satisfied. Then you actually make that much. And you're like, Oh, it didn't actually deliver. Or once yes. I have this much square footage, then I'll, then I'll feel at peace. And then you get a house that big and you're like, Oh, like it feels good for, you know, maybe a month yep. or a year. I think alcohol can be the same way. And I think people are identifying, I was using this and not everyone uses it this way, yep. but using it as an escape. And it did actually work for, a moment, uh, maybe even a season, but I'm realizing now, like, oh, I need this thing uh, to feel this way or to forget these things, and uh, that mindfulness to say, that man, that doesn't seem like a, a hamster wheel I, I want to remain on any That's longer. Well, it'll be interesting to see if this grows. Yeah. It sounds, sounds like it's kind of sprouting around the city, and it'll be interesting if this sober, curious movement continues. Well, coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to talk about a hard story. Sometimes we do funny stories, sometimes pastoral, sometimes some hard ones. So this is going to be about a professor who has put out support for euthanizing disabled children because of what it does to their parents. Ugh. It's a hard story, but those of us who consider ourselves pro-life, it's one that we need to tackle. That's what we're going to do next on The Common Good, a name 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. You can follow us at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find old shows online at 1160hope.com. And just beginning today, now you can text the show. You can text us your comments at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG for the common good. Type in CG. And then your comment, your question, uh, kind of feedback to any of the stories we've done, questions or ideas of things you'd like to see us done. You can ask Ian his favorite color, whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> Groundbreaking questions like that. Yeah, you can do. Use that text line, whatever appropriate way you would enjoy <laughs> using favorite that text color. Line. <laughs> Gosh, I hope we get one now. It I kind of do too. Color. I have to come up with a favorite color, I guess. But the biggest reason we asked for a text line is for the stories like we're about to do, and that is, like we said, sometimes we do fun stories, sometimes hard stories. Yeah. Uh, and at LifeNews.com, we read this story, and it's a little bit dated, but not too. Uh, the headline says this professor supports euthanizing disabled children because quote parents are harmed seeing their child suffer and this is uh, uh, this is uh, not in America it's Dutch uh, the Dutch law and this uh, article called pediatrics this publication called pediatrics asked Dutch and American bioethicists whether they would support repealing all age limits for euthanasia in Netherlands as the Belgians already have. Currently, euthanasia in the Netherlands is legal starting at age 12. Hmm. And this Dutch uh, bioethicist kind of went all in. Her name is Margaret Batten, Hmm. uh, and she enthusiastically is in favor of the Dutch doing away with all euthanasia age limits. And one of the reasons she said for it is because you can't prove that parents aren't harmed seeing their child children suffer. So the the angle she's taking is when it comes to children being terminally ill uh, and uh, facing death down the road, that the misery it puts parents through and the long-term effects it has on parents is justification 
for not just putting that child out of their uh, perceived misery, but putting the parents out of the misery as well. Jeez, and Louise. therefore, uh, a child should be allowed to be euthanized. And man, when I read this, I was just just heartbroken. Yeah. Like, uh, because also there's a caveat to this. There was nothing about the discussion that actually said the kid would need to be terminal. Uh, she was just adding that, but she was she was coming out in favor of doing away with all age limits regardless. Her reasoning was because of terminal, and that was her justification, but there's not that nuance in the law. And so, uh, man, when I read this, I was, it just first made my heart really sad, and then I went to anger, <laughs> and then yeah, right. down the sub. So it's a heavy subject, but... Uh, what did you, how did you interact with it? Yeah, the, the line that stands out to me is that allowing this practice would lead to wholesale killing of children from 1 to 12 years of age. Yep. Yep. Like that, uh, that's devastating to me. Just seeing that in print, realizing the implications of, like, I, gosh, I have so many thoughts. I, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, I have a number of friends who have, Babies, uh, toddlers, teenagers, yep. uh, with with all sorts of obstacles, all sorts of hurdles, yes. and and um, would be very honest about the difficulty. Would be very yes. honest about the struggle, and I I can say with confidence would say unequivocally that this this child is an irreplaceable part of their family. Absolutely, that they and they just want more days. Yeah, <laughs> they want right. More days. Yes, no, right. Exactly, exactly, right. Like the thought, like I'm imagining. Even certain friends, if they're listening right now, just being filled with exactly what you said, heartache and rage. Like yeah. the, this idea of a parent's harm. And again, I'm speaking way out of my element because sure. um, I don't have a child that has any of these types of uh, needs. Um, but, man, even uh, it's a deeper issue for me, this this idea that um, the parent's comfort is the highest priority that if they think, and I realize this is way, way, way more than like a baby that's colicky or a, a kid who's Correct. got like, you know, he's got one leg that's longer than the other. Like yeah. I realize this is just, this is a life shifting, life altering, but this, this idea like, ah, my life is going to be harder because of this. So um, let's do away with this kid and try again. Like, yep. doesn't that seem insane to you? Why, does. why doesn't that, I don't understand what I'm missing. That this that there's not a much larger outcry against this this line of thinking like this yeah. rationale to me just seems so dark and so um, harmful. Yes, and you know it's it's the most vulnerable on either end of the spectrum, right? right like right. to embrace a law like this or a change like this that this bioethicist is saying should be embraced. Uh, on the one end, it hurts the most vulnerable. Uh, of the young of the of the young and the disabled and it also hurts the old of the oldest people right yeah the grandma with dementia or whatever else it might be um and i would i guess i would say this too i would hope to believe that if this that that if this was ever even broached in america there would be that outcry that you're calling for Hmm. uh i hope (laughs) yeah right I, i hope i fear not um just because we've also uh, seen some of the same things in the abortion debate continue to get pushed further and further in a direction that I don't think any of us ever thought it would go. Right. And so there is that tie in uh, culturally in society here for us uh, that says, you know what, if if you have a baby and the doctor tells you it's going to be really hard, that it's going to be have this ailment or this, then that's 
good justification to do away with that child. Right. Uh, the Dutch are just saying they want to extend the ability to do that <laughs> into longer times. Uh, and Gosh. and this this uh, the way they end the article, I thought, is very uh, insightful. They say. It's a very big deal that a respected Dutch medical journal such as Pediatrics hosted a debate, even hosted a debate on the ethical propriety of child euthanasia without international criticism. It means that among the medical intelligentsia, child euthanasia has become a respectable proposition oh my gosh. for those with eyes to see. Let them see. And I just think, man, this is one well, you and I have talked often about the church uh, what are the hills to die on and what are the hills not to die on? Yeah. No this kidding. feels like a absolute 100% uh, hill to die on. Well, that's, globally. What's, that's what's crazy about the whole thing. It's not some, some wackadoo, right. With, yeah. you know, with a blog and some followers It's like, no, this is a, a medical professional for the article to call it a respectable proposition yeah. is haunting because Just worthy of debate, it, worthy of debate. Right. Totally. And you know, like I, oh, golly, like to me, even even the you know it uses the phrase assisted suicide a couple of times uh, in the article. To me, it's a very very different discussion than somebody in their nineties yes. making the decision for themselves. I'm not leaning into this discussion right now, but I'm saying it's way different for a nine year old who's in excruciating pain twenty four seven to make that decision for themselves than for a ten year old. Yep. Uh, having the decision made for them by their parents. Regardless of what you believe is yes. ethical for that 90-year-old, You, we all can agree it's different than a child. It's a totally different discussion, yes. and I think even the blending of the language between the two the two circumstances yep. is is already like a uh, slippery slope at best, in my opinion. Yep, yep. And friends, I think we bring this up, uh, not to be a downer, but to say life is messy, life is hard. Uh, there's darkness out there that the church, like we, we can't put our head in the sand and be like, well, you know what? We, we don't have to worry about it. It's in the Netherlands. Right. <laughs> right. right. Uh, okay. We, we see, uh, like you said, in the name of, of adult or parental um, comfort, we see, we see allowances being made, whether it be in the abortion debate or right. now here in this euthanasia debate uh, that are downright, um, I would call them demonic. Yeah. I would call them demonic. So, uh, we'll keep you up on that. Uh, if you want to text us, we would love to hear your opinions. Tell us where we're wrong or tell us where we're right. Yeah. Uh, text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG and then your comment, your question, whatever feedback you have. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Find old shows online at 1160hope.com. And just today, we introduced a new text line. So if you'd like to text the show, you can text us your comments, your questions, your ideas, whatever it is you want to text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG for The Common Good, and then your comment, your question, or whatever else it might be. We'd love to hear some interaction about uh, your thoughts about what we talked about last segment about that study uh, in the Netherlands about uh, euthanasia and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes you and I just need to go to Twitter to get fired up. Sometimes we just need to go to Twitter (laughs) to find what we want to talk about next. You ever have that where you're on Twitter and you just go, yep, we're going to talk about that on the radio. Uh, More and more each day, man. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know if that's a good sign. It's also funny how our lenses is now like, I can talk about that on the radio. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. The things we can talk about on the radio are probably more than what we can talk about from the pulpit. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. 
<laughs> we'll we're find about out. to find out, right? We're about to find out. Well, every now and then you find these things on Twitter where there's uh, there's just a dialogue that goes on that you either agree with or just gets your blood boiling. So that happened last night from a man by the name of Sam McRoberts, and he's not just a, a regular like a like a you know an average Twitter guy. He's got the blue check mark. Yeah, he's got the blue check mark. Uh, because Which he's means? the CEO, it means he's verified. Like he, it, really, what it means is big deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the blue check mark so is. So he it, he's the CEO of a company. All this stuff. Why don't you tell us uh, before we get angry about it what it was that Sam uh, said last night on Twitter? I'll just uh, I'll just read it for you. Here we go. All two hundred eighty characters. It says my wife and I originally wanted three kids. Had one. Decided after a few years that one was plenty. Though I love my son, I now a know myself well enough, and B, know the challenges of parenting well enough to say that having a kid is probably my biggest life regret. Wife concurs. And he just put that out there in the world. Like, Here's the hard part for me there is biggest regret of life, wife concurs. (laughs) Yeah. Their child is going to see this at some point. Um, Yeah, eventually. And then if if you're on Twitter, ironically, all of it's been deleted. But, you know, the world we live in, people take screenshots. Right. Uh, So later on, he says, nobody prepares you for all that comes with parenting and society biology heavily pushed towards perpetrating the species. I'd bet money that most people, he says, regret having kids, but justified after the fact or pretend otherwise because it's taboo. Ian, I've got three kids. (laughs) And there are days I do not. I want to differentiate here regret and difficulty. Like okay. sometimes parenting is really hard, and there is not a day I've had children for fifteen years. Right, right. There is not a day I can honestly say this: not a day I've regretted having children. You shouldn't even have to differentiate between difficult and regret, though. Yes, but I feel like he's not doing a good job of it in this week. Yes. And for him, maybe his regret is, you know, uh, a lot more deeply seated than Clearly. we realize in yes. a tweet. But, yeah, like, again, we're on, uh, you know, almost opposite ends of this uh, spectrum. Yep. My my oldest is uh, almost 17 months, and my youngest is a little over um, a month. So, you know, we're in the, the thick of... Sleepless nights and acid reflux and, you know, you know diaper blowouts and <laughs> earaches and all that. All that. Yes. Like, I, it is tough. It's, it is really, really tough right now. Um, just, you know, candidly speaking. But yes. this sentiment here, not, not only that they regret it, which honestly makes me more sad than anything, but the assumption that, like, you know what? I think most parents agree with me. I think most regret it. Mm. And we're just sort of living in some facade. Because society says we're supposed to have kids. I don't That, to me, feels ill-informed at best. He has a later tweet where he's trying to explain himself. And this is where you get a window into not only what I think is going on in his soul, but but I think it, it is the, the narcissism and the, the idea of our day. You, you get it. What's going on here? And he says this. Precisely this. I love my kid, and he knows he's loved I, until he reads the tweet. I try to provide him with an amazing life and a world-class education. I spend hours with him every day playing, going to parks, watching shows, playing video games. Parenthetically, I would say that's called being a parent. Yeah, right. But then he says this, but all things considered, childless would be simpler. Okay, it but would be simpler, but, yeah, right. but, that, but he's using that as in like, and simpler equals better. Yeah, right. And right. that is just such a... That is a microcosm of the way our culture increasingly thinks, and it's so problematic, especially in this parenting thing. But 
across the board with work, with faith, with everything. Simpler does not equal better. Yeah, I know. Well, I think, too, it also implies that simpler is the goal, right? Yes. If if the goal, and I don't, I mean, I, again, I don't know this guy's faith background, so I won't even assume it, but this, um, yeah, it is simpler. There's a lot of things in life yep. that would be simpler. This is going to be a terrible analogy. I'm going to go with it anyway. It would be simpler to just eat the same thing every single day, yep. right? That would be technically simpler. But, man, you're missing out on all the all the flavors and all the experiences, which means sometimes you get a dud of a meal that comes yep. with it. But sometimes you're like, oh, my gosh, I've never even tried this before. And it's a, it's incredible. Like that, to me, the, the, the simpler mantra as a motive for not having kids is self-centered at best and, and downright, I think, um, what's, the, what's the phrase? I just a t- it's a toxic way of thinking about marriage and parenting in general. Absolutely. And again, your choice to not have kids is totally, totally. And I'm not knocking that at all. I think for yeah. plenty of people, they made the decision long ago, and you know their spouses are, um, you know, they're in unison there. I just think there's actually this proverb. Uh, I guess Proverbs 14 something, where it says. Um, a stable without oxen stays perfectly clean, mm. but if you want to enjoy the harvest, that's going to take some cattle. So something, something yeah, along yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, you can have a totally clean stable. Just yep. don't put anything in it, you know. And I think, you know, varying degrees of how you like your life to be ordered, or you know, like honestly, there's toys all over my house all the time. Like, yes, I realize <laughs> having, smells like dirty diapers. Yeah, yes. right. It just yeah, it re- resembles a stable some days more than more than I'd like <laughs> yes. to admit, but. This idea, though, that like, oh, man, this kid kind of inconvenienced me. You're like, yeah, yep, that's part of parenting. That's part of this decision to have a family means that you're signing up to not be top of the mountain all day, every day. And that's part of what it means to like love and serve and care for our kids. Um, It means that sometimes our agenda takes a backseat. And I'll tell you what, and I know that I'm brand new at this and you can speak way more intelligently. Sometimes that's been the best for my heart more than anything. When Ian Simpkins doesn't get his way like when i don't when i'm not always the master of my own destiny or so i think yes like having to put that on hold to care for my boy who's who's terrified or is is uh frustrated yep. or like it's doing to use an old churchy word it's sanctifying me in some yes. ways to have like okay I, i'm still tired I had a long night but i'm gonna put that in pause to care for you because yep. you're my family that's what you do and you know what else would be simpler in my life is if I wasn't married. Uh, yeah. My, Which, you again, your prerogative you know to, who would to do, say, right? You know who would, who would agree with that? My wife. Yeah, right. But, you know, my, my, my life would be so worse off without her. But would it be simpler? Probably, because I'd be able to come home, put sweatpants on, watch whatever I want, heat up whatever I want in the microwave, right. not have to worry about dishes or anybody else, right. and not worry about kids, not worry about my right, wife. Right. But I don't want that. Like, that's simpler is not the, the top of the mountain. And I think that's what... When I read this, I just go, man, our culture has gotten to the point where the highest value or one of the highest values is uh, simplicity and um, and narcissism. Like this just screams of narcissism, too. Like it's just life is all about me. I want to be able to do whatever I want. And my kids get in the way. They are going to get in the way. But that's that's what it means to be a parent. Like this is. This in in two tweets, it encapsulates so much that's wrong with our culture that I can't even get over it. And again, that's not to say that your decision to be single is wrong, that your decision to not have kids is wrong. I'm I'm mostly just going after this guy in particular who already has a kid, a kid who will eventually at some point in his life 
see this tweet and, and wonder. And and again, I hope and pray that there's like some maturity and growth there that he, you know, uh, can come to see a little bit of why this is so bonkers. But in general, though, I think uh, I think you're right. Like poking at our tendencies to just simply self-preserve as the highest order and yes. our highest goal um, is is not always a helpful way to go through life. Oh, it's good to have a radio show. We can vent <laughs> about these things. It's good to be able to vent about these things. Well, coming up next, we're going to pop the balloon and just have some fun, right? Pop right. the balloon. Well, the tension. It's been, it's been very tense last couple of segments. I so. feel fine. There you go. We're going to end the show the way we normally do, just finding crazy stuff on the internet. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Uh, we've made it to the end of the show, and at the end of the show, we just love to do funny things we found on the internet, crazy things. Uh, Ian, we're doing this. We're doing this a little risky today. We're doing this a little risky. Our man Keith behind the glass, uh, he is giving these to us sight unseen. So mm. you and I are just going to read them. We're putting a lot of trust in Keith today. This is a dangerous move on our part. This is this this could be the end of the common good? <laughs> it's been fun, everybody. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> we are excited. So this is you know a little levity, a little fun. So why don't you start us off? Craziness we found on the internet. No, we didn't find it on the internet. Was found for, for us. us by Keith. <laughs> it's been face down on the desk. I'm going to flip it over right now. If people could know how excited you are about I'm so this. thrilled because it's the terror of not knowing yes. what I'm going to read when I flip this page over. Ready? We're Here ready. we go. Okay, Ohio. Ohio man to drink only beer during <laughs> Lent. The season of Lent means Christians are fasting and giving up certain pleasures or vices. One Ohio man is taking a page from history. For 46 days, Del Hall, <laughs> killer name, is drinking only beer. I'm going to have all styles of beer, sure the 50 West worker said about the fast. Beer will be the only thing on Hall's menu, and he won't have solid food until Easter Sunday. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We're going back to Canada. Oh, why not? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, no, something bit me. Scorpion stings student on Toronto to Calgary flight. Oh, no. A woman on an air transit flight from Toronto to Calgary on February 26th was startled when she was stung by a, a scorpion shortly before the plane landed. Scorpion? I, I did. I, I went teenager there. I went teenager. She was in the last hour of a four-hour flight when she started to feel a fluttering motion on her lower, lower nope, back. Nope, I just nope. kind of ignored it, nope. thinking the air conditioning on the plane was blowing down her back. I hate this. As soon as the lights turned off again, closer to when we're literally about to land, I felt the piercing pain on the lower oh. back. It said, something bit me. She was freaking out, trying to grab her sweater, but couldn't take off her seatbelt. She's a rule follower, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> couldn't take off her seatbelt. Uh, when the lights finally turned off, she ripped her seatbelt off, jumped onto her armrest, and needing to process what she was seeing, there was a scorpion on my sweater for the past 30 minutes, and it was biting her. No, thank you. Uh, they told her to check again. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Scorpion on the back. Something bit me. Okay, here we go. Florida. I don't know that we've ever done this segment and not had one from Florida. Every time. Uh, you can read between the lines there. Here we go. Woman claims demons told her to steal rental car. Of course. I mean, who among us hasn't had that experience? Exactly. A woman was arrested after stealing an SUV from an A's rental car. 
WJXT reports that uh, Gardena McAuliffe, 23, appeared in court Friday morning on car theft charges with a bond set at over $15,000. And uh, she told the local news station, Demons told me to do it. I didn't take it. Demons took it. Could it be Satan? (laughs) (laughs) Texas. Tweet of lonely dad at new donut shop drums up new business. I actually saw this on Twitter the other day. Huh, of course you did. Basically, a, a Twitter proved yet again to be the most powerful marketing strategy. A donut shop's owner's son took to social media platform and tweeted about his dad's empty shop. His dad just had his dream of opening a donut shop. Nobody was there. The guy put it on Twitter. It was liked over 500,000 times, shared 200,000 times. The place was inundated to the point that they ran out of donuts. Mmm. Donuts. So that's that's two Homer references in it one is. segment, which is a good day in my book. Here we go. Canada. Nope. Not Canada. She's Louisian. Colorado. Uh, police looking for Star Wars bank robber. <laughs> Ooh, I like this one. I'm going to just talk over this. This feels yeah. epic. Authorities are searching for a man who robbed... I just want you to imagine this text scrolling <laughs> through stars right now. Who robbed the bank Monday afternoon wearing a black Star Wars T-shirt? The man robbed a U.S. bank located uh, location at about 4 p.m. on the 3100 block of West Apache Trail. He told the teller he had a gun and was given an undisclosed amount of cash before fleeing the scene on foot. I don't know if there's a Star Wars joke in here somewhere. I don't think he left on foot. Oh gosh, <laughs> how did he leave, Brian? I don't know. Oh, I thought that was Just a joke. Foot. Oh, he was an Ewok. <laughs> Don't know the power of the dark side. That's fitting, especially for a bank robber. My last one's from California. Archaeologists find hidden tunnels below Alcatraz prison. Archaeologists confirmed a longtime suspicions of historians and say that famed Alcatraz prison was built over a Civil War era military fortification. And so they found uh, they found tunnels under there. All wondering, did anybody ever get out? Welcome to the rock. <laughs> Your right. last one. Give Here's it to my us. last one out of New York. Uber mishaps, eight-week-old Chihuahua, fog machine, Harry Potter wand, and other things left behind. Sure, forgetting your keys or your phone in the backseat of an Uber is admissible. But what about an eight-week-old Chihuahua or a handmade cat puppet? I never <laughs> even considered how strange that would be to be an Uber driver and to find those strange things That's... in the backseat. What's the strangest thing you've ever left in a in a car? Not a Harry Potter one. Not a Harry Potter one. That's really funny. Well done, Keith and Josh. Well done. Well, this has been The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Have a great rest of your day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.